When was the last time that the world was at peace? When was the last time that the world was at peace? A couple of years ago, I got to travel over to Budapest, Hungary, and as I was visiting the city, I was walking along the Danube River and I saw in front of me some shoes. And so I Googled it, because that's what you do when you don't know what you're looking at. And I then read the story of why these shoes were there. They were in memory of something that had happened during World War II. During World War II, the Jewish people were put into a ghetto in Budapest. And over a few months period of time, 20,000 of them were marched down to the Danube River and forced to remove their shoes. They were then shot, pushed into the river so that their bodies could be swept downfield and their shoes were taken by the army for their own use or for the use of their families. The next day, I went over to the Jewish synagogue in downtown Budapest and there I saw this beautiful sculpture called the Tree of Life. And on the tree were the names of the people that had died in the Jewish ghetto, thousands of them, because of the cold or starvation and buried in that location. When was the last time the world was at peace? And you might say, well, that was decades ago. Well, then why did I walk through a metal detector in order to get inside the synagogue? Some of you know my brother's wife, Noi. She's from a Southeast Asian country. During the Vietnam War, 270 million, million cluster bombs were dropped into that country. 80 million did not detonate. And so each year, 50 people die when they come upon those unexploded ordinances. And that war ended 45 years ago. When was the last time that our world knew peace? In our missions building, on our prayer room, there's a sign that says, pray for Afghanistan. Joplin is receiving 50 refugees from Afghanistan in the next couple of weeks. Why? Because that part of the world has not known peace for a very long time. Earlier this semester, we did one of those active threat drills. Why? Because since Columbine, 20 years ago, my brother and sister-in-law, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law happened to be there. Um, since that time, 240 school shootings have occurred and they continue to ramp up every year. When was the last time that the world knew peace? Um, in the last two years, our world has erupted over the deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and then more violence because of the protests. Our Capitol building was surrounded and that broke into violence. And since March 11th of 2020, our world has been under a worldwide pandemic and that has just made us angry at each other. When was the last time that the world knew peace? When was the last time you knew peace? Maybe it was March 10th of 2020 before you heard the word pandemic being used or quarantine or isolation. Maybe it was 7.59 on August 16th, the minute before you started that first eight o'clock class this semester, 
Some of you unwisely opened Canvas a few days before that and your piece eroded at that moment when you saw all the assignments that were due. When was the last time you knew peace? Maybe it was the moments before you had a difficult conversation with someone, you had a different, difficult diagnosis given to you by a doctor, you got a phone call that was distressing. When was the last time that you knew peace? I've been listening to you. Um, we professors do that. We listen to you and we listen to what you're saying in the hallways, in our classrooms, in the library. And here's what I've been hearing a lot these last couple of weeks. I'm so busy. I'm so exhausted. I am so tired. I, I don't know if I can do it all. I had a student say, I was just going to quit at fall break. And we've been saying this since week three of the semester. I've been saying this since week three of the semester. When was the last time that we knew peace? And here's the problem, people. Sometimes when we don't know peace, when we aren't feeling peace, what do we do? We turn inward. We become selfish and self-centered. We start to do the things that make us feel better. We self-soothe by binge-watching Netflix or doing Taco Bell runs or what, you know, playing video games for hours. We sit up and talk about our problems and don't actually do anything, procrastinating our assignments and making it worse. When was the last time the world knew peace? When was the last time we knew peace? When God called the prophet Jeremiah to be his prophet into the world, the world had not known peace for hundreds of years. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had been divided. The northern kingdom had been taken off into Assyrian exile. There had been no peace, and though the southern kingdom had been spared for a season, they then turned to pagan gods. They then stopped doing the things of God. And it was to these people that God sent Jeremiah to deliver his message. In Jeremiah chapter one, we read what it is that God wants Jeremiah to share. It says this, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow and to build and to plant. You see, Jeremiah is going to be a prophet of judgment and deliver judgment to the people of God because they have been far from God in their spiritual practices. But Jeremiah is also a prophet of hope. And for the next 30 years, Jeremiah is going to preach to the people. He's going to keep on preaching the word of the Lord, warning them that a judgment is coming if you don't repent. Here are some of the words that Jeremiah shares with the people. He said things like this, these words from God. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. When they were worshiping Baal and Asherah, this is the word of the Lord to them. They say to wood, you are my father. And to stone, you gave me birth. He's warning them, walk away from that idolatrous act. Follow God, but they don't listen. 
He warns them that they need to stop doing the things that they are doing to other people. Jeremiah 5. They had become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limits. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just case of the poor. Strong words from God to the people. But they don't repent. And though there is a season of reform under King Josiah as he reestablishes some of the practices of the temple and worshiping the Lord, Jeremiah's words to them are, <laughs> it's just kind of window dressing. You're just doing these acts, but your heart doesn't belong to the Lord. Jeremiah in chapter seven records this message from the Lord to the people. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And while Jeremiah preached the Lord's message of repentance for 30 years to the people of God, and they don't repent, all the while, the landscape of the world around them begins to change. For hundreds of years, the Assyrians had been in power. But as their power began to decline, the Babylonians began to rise in power. Eventually, Babylon destroys the Assyrian kingdom. They travel down south, they destroy the uh, Egyptian army at the Battle of Carchemish, and then they turn their attention to the southern kingdom, to the nation of Judah, and specifically to the capital, Jerusalem. This is the message that Jeremiah has been telling them for decades. If you don't repent, the north is coming for you. And they didn't listen. They did not repent, and so God uses the Babylonian army and King Nebuchadnezzar, and he places them in a physical space that matches their spiritual one, exile. Here's how it happened. In 598 BC, the Babylonian army attacked Jerusalem and within a few months, King Jehoiakim dies, the city and the temple were pillaged, and under the, king, under the command of Nebuchadnezzar, the army carries the new king, Jehoiachin, his mother, court officials, leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, and others numbering 10,000 people, and exiles them to a land 1,000 miles away in a little area south of the Babylonian capital, the area of Nippur. And that is where he carried his people because they had not repented, because they had not heeded the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. And though there were some prophets among the people that said, it's short-lived, two years. Two years is all we will need until we can rise up and overthrow Babylon. God will bring us back to Jerusalem. That's not the message of God. They were false prophets. And so God gives Jeremiah a message. And that's where our text will be today. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. 
In Jeremiah chapter 29, God gives Jeremiah a message. Here's the message to the people that were carried into exile. Here's my message for them. And so Jeremiah writes it down in a letter and sends it to the people that had been carried in to exile. And it begins, we'll begin in verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Huh? That's probably what the people were thinking. Like, this is not the word that they expected from the Lord. Shouldn't you be saying, I will bring you back. Okay, you've, you've, you've understood. I, we've been punished. Let's, let us go back, Lord. But that's not what he says. He says instead, you're gonna be here a while. You're gonna be here a long while, long enough that you can get married and your kids can get married and they can have children and they can get married. It means that the adults that were carried into exile, they're not going to see Jerusalem again. They're not. They're going to be there. We know they're going to be there 70 years. They know, they've been told they're going to be there a long time. And so this is the word of the Lord. He says to them, do the thing I've wanted you to do since the very beginning of creation. The blessing I've given you, Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is the message of the, of the Lord to them. Start again, here. His message continues in verse seven. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of this place. <laughs> they did not want that message. They were not ready for that message. We know that. <laughs> because in fact, about this time, the people of God write a psalm. They sing a song about their captivity and it's recorded for us in Psalm 137. You might be familiar with the last part of this psalm, but here is the sentiment of the people in exile. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell? Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. These are people who are not ready for peace. These are people who want everything but peace. Yet God calls them and says to them, 
this is where you're going to be. So seek peace, settle down, build homes, cultivate gardens, seek the peace of your captors. They didn't want to pray for that. They wanted to pray for Jerusalem. Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those you love be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. They wanted peace for the city of peace, the name Jerusalem. And God is telling them, seek peace here. We know what happens because we have history to tell us. What happens in the Babylonian exile is that those that actually remained in Jerusalem, they wavered between who they were you know, aligned with and eventually they joined with others and revolted against Babylon. That resulted in Nebuchadnezzar coming in 588 BC, returning to Jerusalem, capturing the city in 586, destroying the temple, destroying the city, and exiling all who remained. The word of the Lord had been completed. The word that he had given to Jeremiah now 40 years before that. But remember, in the judgment, there was hope. Remember, there was hope. Jeremiah 29, seven, let's return there. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What was God trying to tell them? And what's God trying to tell us <laughs> through this message? You know, we, know what the, we know what God is not telling them because Bryce taught us that last week. He's not saying adopt the culture of this new place. Just become like a Babylonian person. That's not what he's saying. Instead, I think this is what he's saying. My peace, my presence, it doesn't depend on your circumstance. It doesn't. We actually miss some of the meaning of this by reading it in English. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse seven has a very specific word. The NIV translates it peace and prosperity. The ESV translates it as welfare. The Hebrew word is Shalom, a word that you're probably somewhat familiar with. And you probably know that the word shalom has a very rich and very full meaning. In the Old Testament, the word shalom covers a multitude of situations and is translated in various ways. In 1 Samuel 7, for example, it means the absence of war. In um, Esther chapter two, when Mordecai comes and asks about Esther's shalom, it's how, how is her as a person? First Samuel one, Eli says to Hannah, go in shalom with her prayer to God. Um, David and Jonathan, Jonathan tells David, go in shalom because of our friendship. This relationship has shalom. As a verb, shalom describes how someone should pay restitution if their animal is stolen or harmed. As an adjective, it describes complete or wholeness, such as an altar of stones. And so shalom means to be whole, to be full, to be at rest. And we kind of miss the point of what God is telling the people by reading it in the English. <laughs> in fact, 
We miss it because the word shalom shows up three times in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse seven. Here's a different translation of it. Also seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for in her shalom, it will be to you shalom. To people whose self-centeredness had led them to sinfulness, worshiping every pagan god and seeking fulfillment, God is calling them to do the opposite. <laughs> the same Hebrew word shows up a few verses later in probably the most well-known verse of Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. Here's a different translation of it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of shalom. Plans for shalom. And how do we find shalom? Well, it's by seeing it for others. Because shalom, the peace, the wholeness, the wellness, the fullness of God is not found in our circumstances. It's found in seeking the shalom of others. In the Old Testament, we have examples of this. Remember when, um, remember when Joseph goes and seeks the shalom of the Egyptian people by putting away seven years full of grain into uh, grain bins? Well, what is the result? He has shalom with his family eventually. When Ruth seeks out shalom for Naomi, she receives her own shalom. When Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar um, in a different story out of Daniel than we heard last week, he, he interprets the um, king's dream, thereby not being killed um, and also rescuing the other wise people. Esther seeks shalom with her king and rescues her people. And we know that later in this story of exile, a different prophet, the prophet Nehemiah, He's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He goes and he seeks shalom for the people and is able to return to Jerusalem. When you seek shalom for others, it becomes shalom to you. And we see it in our world. We see it by churches. We see it by churches helping people foster children and bringing about shalom for them. We see it in churches who reach out to families of children with special needs and people of special needs, throwing them a prom. We see it in packing Operation Christmas child boxes. We see it in people going to the mission field of Brazil. We heard about it on this very stage a few weeks ago with the Kamals in Kenya, bringing shalom to the people. And it also looks like your Christian service hours, and those are due after Christmas break. You're welcome, Kevin Greer, all right? It looks like those Christian service hours, because I see you ministering to elementary kids on Wednesday night, and I know they can be difficult, but bringing them shalom brings you shalom, and, and helping kids at Neighborhood Lifehouse, or staying up late with teenagers, or being a conversation partner with somebody at MSSU, collecting items for the people that are coming from Afghanistan. We find shalom by bringing shalom to others. And I am so grateful to be part of a community that brings shalom to Joplin and Web City and Carterville and Carthage and beyond this area. And that that's part of what we teach you to do here. But also, remember when the word of the Lord comes to the people, seek the peace.
peace of the city, seek the shalom of where you find yourself, they find themselves not just in Babylon, but with 10,000 other Jews, right? And so we practice shalom, not just in those big things, but every single day. Because though we are not people that have been thrown into exile, we are God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. So clothe yourselves with humility, I'm sorry, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace, the Greek word, arene, for shalom, of Christ rule in your hearts, such as, since as members of one body, you were called to shalom. When was the last time you didn't have shalom? Well, when's the last time you brought shalom to someone else? But we know shalom doesn't just come about naturally, so we must seek it. The Lord reminded those in Babylon, I was with you in Jerusalem, I carried you into this place, and I am here too. Perhaps they believe that the Lord only resided in Jerusalem at the temple, and that he could not be found, he could not hear them from Babylon, but the word of the Lord to them is, I can hear you. Later in Jeremiah chapter 29 it says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The Lord was present with them in Babylon if they would just open their eyes and become aware of his presence. I see you, I see you week after week in this chapel and I love it, watching you worship full-throated, hands raised, aware of God's presence. Are you still aware of God's presence an hour and a half later in a classroom or four hours later in the library stressing over that paper? God is present, it doesn't matter your circumstances and sometimes we're just too distracted to realize it. God is present when your peace is disrupted, so seek God. And so as we conclude this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to seek God's presence and recognize God is present and so we're going to do the command that God gave the people. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray for it. I'm gonna lead us through just three prompts of prayer. We're gonna have some silence in between. I'm gonna ask that the Lord give you his message of how it is that you might need to seek shalom. Let us pray. God of all peace, we pray for your peace in the world. May we pray for the people group that comes to mind who are in need of your shalom. God of all peace, we pray for your peace in this city. Let us pray for the people of Joplin and the ways in which we might serve this area through your shalom.
God of all peace, we pray for your peace on this campus. Help us to identify the ways in, we, in which we can seek shalom for our brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom. Shalom.